Um, good evening, everyone. It's my pleasure to invite you to this LSE inaugural discussion, and I'm giving you the hashtag immediately. The Twitter hashtag is LSE in capital, Özürek. Okay. Now, um, what we're going to do is that Esra is going to first give us a short presentation of her book, and it will follow, be followed up by three discussants, who I shall introduce now so that we um, waste no time afterwards. Um, at the very end of the table is uh, Professor Joel Robbins, who is Sigrid Frousing Professor in Social Anthropology in Cambridge. He is most known for his groundbreaking work in the anthropology of Christianity and his theoretical approach to cultural change. In addition to numerous articles... Microphone. Oh, the microphone. Oh, dear. It seems to be on. No, is it on? Is, or do we... is the green light on? No. No, well, actually. Maybe, maybe if you turn yours off. It somehow doesn't... Thank you. It looks as if my microphone isn't working. So I'll go back to the beginning, which is not very far from the start. Uh, I was in the process of introducing our speakers... Uh, at the end of the table, uh, Professor Joel Robin, Robbins, who is Sigrid Rousing Professor of Social Anthropology at Cambridge University. He is most known for his groundbreaking work on the anthropology of Christianity and his theoretical approach to cultural change. In addition to numerous publications, he is the author of Becoming Sinners, Christianity and Moral Torment in Papua New Guinea. In the middle is Dr. Nasser Mir, who is a reader in comparative social policy and citizenship and Chancellor's Fellow in the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences at Strathclyde University and the Royal Society of Edinburgh Research Fellow. Dr. Mir's research concerns citizenship, minorities, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, and racism. He is best known for his discussion of W.E.B. Dubois' concept of double consciousness in relation to Muslims in Europe. He is the author of Citizenship, Identity, and Politics of Multiculturalism and editor of Radicalization, Racialization of Religion. Dr. Ruth Mandel is a reader in anthropology at University College London. Her work concerns transnational migration, ethnicity and identity, post-socialist societies in transition, international development, anthropological critiques, media in Germany and Kazakhstan. She is the author of Cosmopolitan Anxieties, Turkish Challenges to Citizenship and Belonging in Germany. Uh, the speakers will take 12 minutes each, and then I will open the discussion to the floor. So without further ado, I give you Dr. Esra Özürek. Hey. Is this one working? I hope so. Can I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> okay, we'll do it like that. Okay. I'm Esra Özürek. I'm the um, chair for contemporary Turkish studies at the European Institute. Um, and I'll be introducing my newly published book, uh, Being German, Becoming uh, Muslim. 
Today, it is estimated that there are around 100,000 German converts to Islam. It is not possible to know the exact number, but the number is comparable to number of converts in the United Kingdom and France. Even though there are so many converts to Islam, and even though Europeans have been converting to Islam for hundreds of years, converts to Islam generate a deep astonishment and suspicion. I spent three and a half years with German converts to Islam in Berlin, talked to close to 100 of converts from different genders, age, and income groups, previous religious affiliation, and East and West German background. I spent countless hours in German-speaking mosques, participated in regular learning, praying, or family fun events. I hung out at halal restaurants, frequented hijabi Islamic clothing stores, and visited German-speaking Muslims at their homes. I met a few people only once, many others regularly at mosque events, and some of them became close friends who made my life richer. The leading question of my research was the relationship between race, religion, and belonging in Europe. Despite centuries-long presence in the continent, Islam is increasingly seen as external to Europe. It is judged as a distinct set of values that belong to newcomers who cannot integrate. I wanted to know what would experiences of indigenous Europeans who embrace Islam add to discussions of Islamophobia, anti-Muslim racism, and externalization of Islam. I wanted to understand what choosing Islam entailed in a country where more than 50% believe there are too many Muslims in the country. And what would be the consequences of individual conversions for German society, Muslim communities, and their relationships to each other? I'll tell about this in a minute. When I talk about my research, most people want to know why Germans convert to Islam. My answer to that is, it is not possible to know exactly why they or anyone would convert, in the sense that it is not possible to know why people choose their life partners. Even when we feel like we know why, the reason we attribute will change through years. And this is exactly the same with converts. You know, people who looked at it over the years found out that at different times they give different answers, but it is, you know, just a human condition. So in the kind of research I do, I believe I cannot know why, but I can know how they come to contact with Islam, which is a necessary but not sufficient condition for conversion. Almost always, Germans, and other Europeans for that matter, convert following a meaningful, intimate contact with Muslims. But it is important to note that most of the time, the Muslim they meet is not a practicing Muslim. Relationships are established during holidays, at work, school, and many times at nightclubs, in, in my experience. In the most typical story, a non-Muslim man or a woman meets a Muslim man, you know, usually the converter, as it is called in um, religious conversion language, is a Muslim man, um, and the convert gets impressed by some quality of their personality. 
Most typically reported characteristics are their commitment to friendship, generosity, their family ties, and sometimes their sure stance towards the existence of God and his message. Overwhelming majority of converts I met reported that they developed a desire to learn more about Islam following such an encounter, regardless of the fact that Muslims they met was religious or not, and whether they had a conversation about religion or not. So just meeting the Muslim initiated this interest. Having an intimate or a meaningful encounter with a Muslim, many times a nominal um, Muslim, was what opened these people's hearts to Islam, and they began researching about it, a religion they all told me they, of course, heard about, but they knew little on. This research sometimes began by asking the new Muslim friend about about it, but it is most often done alone in the Internet. Interestingly, I noted unless the original Muslim, the converted friend, also devoted himself to Islam, the relationship between the new Muslim and the old Muslim came to an end, and most often the convert continued his or her spiritual path alone. Because it is almost always dependent on personal contact, the history of conversion to Islam is also the history of Muslim integration in Germany. For more than 100 years, men and women, old and young, rich and poor, gay and straight, religious and atheist, Christian and Jewish, Protestant and Catholic, indigenous or immigrant Germans have been embracing Orthodox and Sufi, Shi'i and Sunni interpretations of Islam. So in a way, there is no typical convert. Different kinds of Germans have encountered different kinds of Muslims at different historical moments. Those involved in Muslim and German encounters at any particular time have largely shaped the vision of Islam that German converts embraced. For example, in the 1920s, because Muslims of Berlin, where I did most of my research, were Muslim students, and the Ahmadiyya society, which dominated the Muslim scene, was organizing literary meetings for open-minded intellectuals and literary types, converts consisted of a well-educated elite, including Orientalist scholars, aristocrats, and professionals. German-speaking converts to Islam also included Jews who had come into contact with Islam during their travels to Palestine and sometimes through their contact with Muslims in Germany. Guest workers who arrived in the 1960s to build up the German economy changed the scene of Islam and also of converts. These workers were overwhelmingly single men. Despite their isolation in factories and workers' dormitories and their lack of access to German language, struck, still they struck up romantic relationships with German women. Some of these meaningful encounters initiated conversion and in this period, more women than men converted to Islam. By the 2000s, when I did my research, the dynamic changed once more. Even though the older trends of conversion continue, today there is a new cohort of converts who are younger, more male than female, more lower class than uh, compared to older uh, converts, and often Germans of color. These young men, but also women convert to Islam through contact with native-born Muslim friends with whom they drink alcohol, smoke marijuana, enjoy graffiti, and hip-hop. As Islam becomes further marginalized and criminalized in German society, it becomes attractive 
for some marginalized non-Muslims also. German youths with diverse backgrounds who live in the affordable peripheries of big cities, like Neukölln and Wedding, where I did most of my research, convert to Islam. These neighborhoods are home to many Turks and Arabs, along with poor white Germans and non-Muslim immigrants from Russia, East Europe, Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Islam is increasingly an integral part of a new and ethnically mixed youth culture in Germany and throughout Europe. The significant increase in the number of converts during the 2000s went hand in hand with the global rise of Salafism. Unlike other ethnically based mosques in Germany, Salafi ones are eager to attract and accommodate new Muslims and teach their interpretation of Islam in the German language. My historicization of Islam in Germany demonstrates its democratization. One way of reading this history is an, in, is, is an index of Islam's declining value. As the perceived value of Islam decreased in Germany, the socioeconomic background of the converts did too. In other words, the more marginalized Islam became, the more people from marginal segments of German society found it attractive. Yet, a closer look at German conversion trends also leads to another more positive interpretation. Whereas in the early 1900s, there were only a handful converts, today the number is estimated to be close to 100,000. Conversion to Islam is almost always a result of a meaningful relationship between a Muslim and a non-Muslim and affects the lived experience of both native Germans and migrant Muslims as well as the definitions of these terms. Hence, the dramatic increase in conversion shows what an inseparable part of German society Muslims are. As Muslims have been transformed through their migration to Germany, they also transform German society, at the very least increasing the number of individuals who embrace Islam in a fundamental way. In this process, Islam has become an unquestionably national religion in Germany. I did, this research, I did the research for this book between years 2006 and 2014. This is a time when Muslims have become an unquestionable part and parcel of Muslim society, and at the same time, they witnessed increasing Islamophobia. German converts to Islam faced the double challenge of accommodating Islam to German identity and carving out legitimate space for Germans in the Ummah, the community of Muslims. As Muslims were increasingly racialized and marginalized, both proved to be difficult tasks. Mainstream society marginalizes German converts to Islam and questions their Germanness and Europeanness, based on the belief that one cannot be a German or European and a Muslim at the same time. Converts to Islam are accused of being traitors to European culture, internal enemies that need to be watched, and potential terrorists. Having become new Muslims in a context where Islam is seen as everything that is not European, ethnic German converts disassociate themselves from Muslim migrants and promote a supposedly denationalized and detraditionalized Islam that is not tainted by migrant Muslims and their national traditions, but instead goes beyond them. Some German Muslims, along with some other European-born ethnic Muslims, 
promote the idea that once cleansed of these oppressive aggressions, the pure Islam that is revealed fits in perfectly well with German values and lifestyles. Some even argue that practicing Islam in Germany builds on the older but now lost values of the German Enlightenment of Klerung, including curiosity and tolerance of difference. For East Germans who converted after the fall of the Berlin Wall, becoming Muslim can be a way of escaping their East German identity. Born Muslims who grew up in Germany increasingly adopt these discourses and promote deculturalization of Islam as a way for Muslims to integrate into German society without giving up their religious belief. At the same time, a newer and more popular trend of Islamic conversion, namely Salafism, bypasses the question, questions of national tradition and identity altogether by ostensibly going back to the earliest roots of Islam, which converts isolating themselves not only from non-Muslim society, but also from other Muslims. One of the main arguments of this book is that the call of many German and other European-born converts for a purified Islam and also attractiveness of Salafism can be best understood in the context of increasing xenophobia and Islamophobia, where being Muslim is defined as antithetical to being German and European. Now, of course, Salafism is popular all around the world, but if we try to understand the reason why converts find it attractive in Germany. When confronted with unexpected hostility from mainstream society, converts to Islam take an active role in defending the place of Islam in Germany by disassociating it from the stigmatized traditions of immigrant Muslims. The German Muslim take on a purified Islam is inspired by Islamic revivalism worldwide, but also is based on enlightenment ideals, ideals of the rational individual and natural religion. While this call for a culture and tradition-free Islam that speaks directly to the region, rational individual seems universalistic, in the contemporary German context, it ends up being strictly particularistic or more, um, more precisely Eurocentric. It assumes that the European or German mind is truly rational and hence the Oriental mind is not free of the burden of cultural aggressions and thus uniquely capable of appreciating and directly relating to the real message of Islam in its essential form. The tension, I argue, is one of the reasons why Salafi interpretation of Islam is increasingly popular among new Muslims in Germany. This Puritan interpretation of Islam that is conversionist, literalist, anti-culturalist, and anti-historical is attractive to both converts and born-again Muslims since it places them on an equal footing with, or even better, uh, makes them feel superior to all other Muslims. This is especially powerful in a context where immigrant Muslims are routinely accused of being uh, misogynistic, violent, and uneducated. Salafism allows new converts to fully embrace their religion without having to deal with cultural traditions and ethnic groupings. It even permits them to feel superior to Muslims with immigrant backgrounds and invite them to true Islam, which is not Turkish, Arab, or Pakistani. Salafi mosques are pretty much the only spaces in Germany where piety matters more than ethnic or national background. 
To conclude, Converts to Islam break ground for genuinely new ways of being and becoming Muslim, German, German Muslim, and Muslim German. At the same time, they provoke new anxieties about the changing realities of being European. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Estra, for a fascinating expose. And now I call on Ruth Mandel for the first comment. First, I had not um, seen or, uh, what Esra was going to say, so forgive me if some of this is a bit repetitive, but it's, I can't rewrite it yet right now. So I'd just like to say that this is a pleasure to take part in this event to welcome Esra Uzurek to the LSE and to London and to welcome her new book, Being German, Becoming Muslim. The book joins the growing repertoire of critical studies about the increasingly complex and cosmopolitan makeup of Germany. And this book is remarkable for many reasons. First, she has taken an understudied field, Muslim-German conversion, and engaged deeply with it. Moreover, she has uncovered a whole host of nuances entailed in this conversion process that had been neither noticed nor understood, and she's analyzed them. Through the lens of these Muslim-German converts, the book reveals new optics, specifically the articulation of Muslimness through German identity and immigrant identity. As we've just heard, scores of thousands of Germans have converted to Islam in a society where Muslim has come to imply non-white immigrant, social inferior, and even enemy of the state, and moreover, where German Islam for many is a contradiction in identitary terms, how then do native German Muslims tread across these conundra? Zurek's engaging book leads us through these and related issues. She asks probing key questions throughout the text, just as she proposes possible explanations. For example, we learn why the former President Wolf's declaration that, quote, Islam has become part of German history, has created such an enormous, even scandalous shock. The huge reaction to his statement begs many questions. Why should Islam and German be the contradiction in terms many claim it to be? Who are these Germans who choose to become Muslim? What are their motivations? Can an indigenous German Islam coexist with a hegemonically Christian German society any easier than an immigrant Islam, or more accurately, immigrant Islams. And also problematized in the book is the encounter between German Islam and the various Islams practiced by the immigrants. The opening sentence of the book speaks powerfully to this. It is a statement from German Muslim converts that she heard over and over again during the course of her research. Quote, I would never have become a Muslim if I had met Muslims before I met Islam. Clearly, many Germans who convert see Islam in a very inorganic way as a reified state of being, a static set of strictures and teachings. In other words, not as a living, organic, culturally contextualized set of practices, identities, and beliefs that inevitably change with place and time. Their Islam is something unrelated to culture and society, a rarefied intellectual and spiritual project, 
The book deals at length with this issue. It describes how many of the German converts believe themselves to be purer, better, superior Muslims than their immigrant co-religionists. With the zealotry common to converts, the book identifies many newly Muslim Germans who feel confident and justified in their criticism of the native-born Muslim immigrants' beliefs and practices. Interestingly, the lack of self-reflection and relativism proves glaring. This attitude reflects an unrealized projection of what might be understood as a German intellectual appropriation of the other. The living language, like the living, like, um, sorry, I just, an, uh, an analogy we might compare it to is those who learn a new language and in the process learn its rules better than the native speakers. Sometimes the newly fluent find themselves shocked and confused with colloquialisms that contradict grammar rules. I remember well, after having struggled for a year with Turkish grammar, trying to get my head around the complexities of um, a feature called vowel harmony, that it's an amazing feature of Turkish phonetics. And when I finally went to Turkey the following year, I was shocked to hear violations of vowel harmony (laughs) committed by native speakers all around me. So that um, experience kind of seems um, somewhat analogous to um, the um, living Islams practiced in Germany by immigrants versus, I mean, the living language, and that how it might indeed contradict grammatical or, for the newly Islamic, um, doctrinal theories. To anthropologists, this is what makes the study of culture and society all the more compelling. It's the contradictions we're interested in. So unselfconscious blind spots shade the attitudes of many Muslim Germans that the author interviews in the book. For example, they claim that the Islam practiced by immigrants is diluted, if not polluted, by the local cultural practices. She writes, German Muslims claim that as converts, they can be even better Muslims than immigrant Muslims. They imply that by definition, they live a pure Islam, not contaminated by cultural practices, and they urge native-born Muslims also to purify their Islamic practice of the stigmatized cultural traditions. So we might ask whether or not the converts' feelings of superiority echo the already powerful Ausländerfeindlichkeit, xenophobia against foreigners that has grown over the past half century, just as it has assumed a myriad of forms in changing discourses. For example, people who once were thought of as temporary workers, Gastarbeiter, guest workers, and who occupied this identity until the pejorative ironies of guest worker overwhelmed any putative objectivity of the moniker. Then they became Ausländer, outsiders, foreigners, again, until the stigmatization of that term undermined its alleged descriptive qualities. Then, as Turks and migrants, but rarely immigrants, since Germany has taken great pains to deny that it's an immigration country, many began to apply for German nationality. However, they were still Turks, or Germans with migrant heritage, never unadjectivalized Germans, regardless of their citizenship status. And then the final metamorphosis came after 9-11, when guest worker, foreigner, Turk, migrant, they found themselves categorically transformed into a new category, Muslim. Replacing the previous Ausländerfeindlichkeit, the German-style xenophobia, a more pernicious version rose to the fore, Islamophobia. 
This surely complicates the situation for native German Muslims, often adamant about radically separating themselves from those other stigmatized immigrant Muslims. And the book describes well how some Muslim Germans or German Muslims make explicit connections between their own conversion and practices with the lost ideals of the Enlightenment, the Aufklärung that um, Esra just mentioned, personified by Goethe and Lessing. This line of thought serves to further differentiate themselves from the immigrant Muslims with their romantic historicizing, explicitly linking themselves and their true Islam to the whole culture of German and European ideals. And as we just heard, Salafism is dealt with in depth in the book. It's proved very attractive and appealing to a variety of new Muslims. And in part, it appears to be one of only, uh, only to be the only one of the many varieties of Islam that's divorced from national origins, hence seem to be more inclusive. And I urge you to read that fascinating chapter. The book's discussion of new path-breaking identity engineering young Muslims is as intriguing as it is significant. These are perhaps the first Muslims who feel comfortable and confident in their assertion of their Germanness, a category that has traditionally been closed to um, other Muslims. Given the generalized hostility to Islam in Germany, this is an important opening. Now, a good book raises questions, prosaic and provocative, and suggests new directions for thought and research. This monograph is one of those. For example, it begs some historical comparisons. One cannot imagine Turkish Ottoman history without the mass conversions that were central to it, particularly in the Balkans. Today's Bosnian, Macedonian, Pamaki, Albanian Muslims, and others are the descendants of these early converts. Joining the Muslim Ottoman club brought with it many social and economic privileges. By contrast, those Germans who choose to convert to Islam now, for the most part, are not joining the large post-Ottoman Turkic club of fellow denizens. Rather, they're setting themselves apart and above. Furthermore, many of the Balkan converts were attracted by the Bektashi movement, or sect of Islam, for a variety of reasons. Though beyond the purview of this book, it would be fascinating to learn about the German Muslims who have converted to the non-Orthodox Islamic um, pathways. Likewise, are there another question I would have is um, about the Gulen movement, if there's any um, of new converts who move in that direction. Do any engage with Alevis? Um, these are all questions outside the purview of the book, but you know, after reading the book, it, um, they occurred to me, and I would love to hear more about that. So ultimately, this penetrating study reveals as much about Germany and a select group of Germans as it does about Islam. And I'll finish there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ruth. I'm now calling on Nasser to join us with his comments. Thank you. So good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. My thanks to Ezra for the invitation to participate and uh, to be on such an illustrious panel. My thanks also to the chair for the introduction. I increasingly feel like these academic introductions are probably what my obituary will sound like when they're <laughs> eventually written. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Okay, so whenever you're invited to participate in an event like this, you need to make a strategic decision as to what you will focus on. Um, and with good fortune, because I'm not an anthropologist, I've decided to pick out a couple of theoretical, uh, perhaps analytical questions around um, some of the key themes which I think permeate 
Permia Ezra's text. So I'd like to do two things. Uh, firstly, perhaps focus on the being or becoming Muslim part of the book with some observations which considers what the book adds to how we might approach the idea of Muslim quote-unquote categories in Europe. And secondly then to move on and think a little further about the relationship between the idea of Islamophobia and Europe as it appears in Ezra's thesis. Okay, so the first issue. What does the book add to our understanding of Muslim identities? Well, as ever, much depends on your framing. Um, Islam has a certain political resonance, if you hadn't noticed. Um, but we need to be careful not to reduce politics or religion to politics. You know, that flattens out the analysis. It makes a category error. But nor should we be naive about this and focus solely on internal Muslim sources, scripture, practice, orthodox and non-orthodox tradition more broadly. Instead, I would suggest we need an idea of Muslim, quote-unquote, something like a sociological category, which isn't always anchored either in faith or necessarily in belief. Now, I say this in order to register the kind of politically contested nature of Muslim identities, both amongst Muslims themselves as well as out with in terms of how Muslim identities are received. And I think this is precisely one of the themes that runs throughout this book. And if I read you one of the extracts, which kind of tries to bring this out a little, um, Ezra says that in a political climate that sees no place for their religion uh, and, is, and is antagonistic towards their conversion, some German converts try to open up a, a legitimate space for Islam by disassociating it from Turks and Arabs. And this kind of de-ethnicization plugs into a wider trend we can observe in terms of what people like Oliver Roy call the, the deterritorialization uh, and de-ethnicization of Muslim identity. She goes on to say that once cleansed of these oppressive accretions, the pure Islam that is revealed fits perfectly well with German values and lifestyles. And you know, she goes on to elaborate how and in what ways. Now, I guess... As Ezra rightly notes, kind of more diffusely in the book, separating culture and religion like this isn't really about emptying out cultural content from religion. It's about reinscribing it with, di- with a different kind of cultural content. Um, and I think intellectually, we haven't really been very good at grasping that and being able to offer uh, a theoretical language which describes it. A couple of people who try to and which feature a little in the book, kind of turn on this question of, of Euro-Islam, you know, which is very contested in terms of not only its authorship, but also its reception. And, and if we pick up two poles of that, Bassam TB and Tariq Ramadan, Bassam TB who you know, vehemently claims that he's the originator of that term and really resents the fact that Tariq Ramadan's famous for popularising it, um, Each of those kind of focus on what we might call the first tier of um, a series of parallel um, readings of Muslim identities. They all focus on what we might call religious devotional teachings. Um, And they kind of leave out the question of how Muslim identities are subject to sociological forces which take in the question of ethnicity and race and migration and so forth. And they kind of try to marry that up to some extent with what we might call Islam as a dynamic political identity. 
Um, in Ezra's book, Dynamic Political Identities are used in terms of thinking about Islam as a, as a post-national, um, universalistic, almost enlightenment um, activity. But in these two camps between Ramadan and TB, well, for Ramadan, Euro-Islam is kind of already underway. It's a process that's here in this room. He talks about a Muslim personality that's faithful to the principles of Islam, dressed in European and American cultures and definitively rooted in Western societies. But he argues that this isn't enough because it needs actually a a theological elaboration, uh, a theological justification to overcome a binary of Dar al-Islam, the home of Islam, and Dar al-Ahab, the abode of war. Uh, And so this is what Ramadan writes. He says, Muslims have to go back to the beginning and study their roots and their points of reference in order to delineate and distinguish what in their religion is unchangeable from what is subject to change and to measure from the inside what they've achieved and what they have lost by by being in the West. I suppose for, for Ramadan, this is not really... Um, a question of the of Islam, institutionalization of Islam in any given society, because he goes on to say that, well, actually, often in many cases, lots of European countries are more Muslim, in his view, than lots of Islamic or Muslim-majority states. So Ramadan kind of offers this classicist and revisionist attempt to stake out an ethical resource in Islamic scripture to propose a qualitatively novel solution that's calibrated to contemporary, traditionally non-Muslim majority societies. And it's precisely that kind of attempt at a reconciliation which upsets Bassam Tibi so much. Um, For Bassam Tibi, it has to be said openly and clearly, in defence of our open societies, he argues, one which promotes rational autonomy and its principles, Europe is not Dar al-Islam, or I quote Basam Tibi arguing, in the cover language of some, Dar al-Shahada, the home of prayer, the abode of prayer, it's not an Islamic space, but a civilization of its own, albeit an exclusive one, an inclusive one open to others, including Muslims. Now I see that kind of tension running quite frequently in the passages that Ezra Penn's and the kinds of responses she gets from her um, participants. There's a nice quote on page 58 where she's speaking to one respondent, Amir. And Amir says, very forthrightly, what we need is a reform of Muslims. It's really shameful that these Turks have been here for more than 40 years, and so many of them cannot speak German. If they were good Muslims they would certainly have read the Prophet Muhammad's traditions and say, if you travel in a foreign country for more than 15 days, make sure to learn its language so that you can communicate with the people there. So if these people were better Muslims, this respondent Amr says, they would have mastered German and better integrated into society. Now, I said at the beginning that we need to delineate these ways in which Muslim identities can be imagined. And there are a number of ways. One is to do with these devotional spiritual teachings, and the other has to do with Muslim as a sociological force, as a sociological um, category. And I think one of the ways in which I think Muslim identities take on a sociological force is in, or sociological form, is in negotiating and responding to the issue of what we call Islamophobia. Now, Islamophobia in my mind, is something which is not just about religion or faith. It's about 
signs of race and culture and belonging. It's tied up with issues of community identity, stereotyping, socioeconomic location, and so forth. And academics, I think, have been very good at making a fetish out of words when it comes to Islamophobia. Um, And what I would say, and there are a couple of people in the audience with whom I've had this conversation in the past before, is that there are few uncontested relationships between the subject and the object. Because people will say, well, we shouldn't be talking about Islamophobia. If you want to talk about anything, talk about Muslimophobia. Um, And I suppose my response to that is that part of naming discrimination is a social awareness activity. Uh, And this has been the case for all concepts that seek to highlight what groups perceive as unfair treatment, including sexism, including homophobia, including anti-Semitism, which has its own historical trajectory. And so when talking about Islamophobia... I think we need to be able to grasp the ways in which discrimination against Muslim minorities picks out people on the basis of supposedly discernible characteristics. So what on first... uh, But but that kind of argument um, encounters this issue that uh, on first inspection, what seemed to be different for Islam is that we're talking here about a world religion. Uh, And so it's of a very different order to other kind of minority social and political identities. And I've spilt kind of a lot of ink trying to make the case that that argument turns on this issue of voluntary and involuntary identities. The idea that we choose our identity, we choose our Muslimness, but we don't choose our blackness, we don't choose our, our gender or sexual orientation. Now these are really problematic distinctions which don't go to answering the charge that Islamophobia is a legitimate an intellectual, a legitimate social and political and intellectual, therefore, concern. And I guess one of the questions that I suppose I had, which would be interesting to follow up in the discussion, is that I'm not entirely sure where Ezra is situating her respondents' Islamophobia. Because um, you eloquently descri- describe how other people have, people have tried to kind of frame a reading with Islamophobia. Uh, and I guess to some extent what you're saying is that, hey, it's really interesting, isn't it, that these Muslim converts kind of appeal to this universalistic Islam, uh, but in a way in which it denigrates other ethnic minorities in Germany. And there's a point, there's a a short quote on page 55, which really brings this out quite lucidly. And you're speaking here to to a respondent. And he says, At first I thought Turkish parents educated their children in an Islamic way. But after living here, I wonder which trash can they came out of. They are dirty, ugly, and disgusting. I said to my wife, but she wanted a big flat, so we moved here to this Turkish area. I asked her, look, who is urinating on our door? Not the German junkies, but the Turks. Um, uh, They only really care about what's in their own bellies. You know, which is reminiscent of David Feldman, who's the director of the Paris Institute for the study of anti-Semitism, we were having a conversation once, and he introduced a speaker who was working on the topic of Jewish anti-Semitism, and David jokingly said, ah, oh, it's my favourite kind. Um, but is it the case that you're talking about how Muslim converts are engaging in this kind of ethno-racial um, denigration of other Muslims? And what does that mean for our prevailing frame of Islamophobia? And in that respect, that's a very novel kind of observation, because that's what's been missing, I think, in some of the literatures on this topic. Okay, I'm going to stop there. I think I've shared enough. Thank you very Thank much. You so much. And now to our last speaker, Joel, please.
Well, hello. It's really a pleasure to be part of this event to mark the publication of Being German, Becoming Muslim. I, I also very much appreciated the introduction, not, not because I saw my obituary in it. I, I must be in denial, I think, about but uh, because it did alert you to something I actually was only going to say at the end of my remarks, which is that I, I come to this book having spent a lot of time studying conversion, but to Christianity, which seems probably roughly comparable, but also among a society of 400 people in Papua New Guinea, which really doesn't seem very comparable to Berlin. So I, I, I probably read um, anthropological and ethnographic works maybe in a slightly different way than some of the other panelists. And um, I really enjoyed reading this book in, in those terms. And I'm, I'm going to give you a sense of maybe the distorting mirror you get coming from, a, from that um, anthropological tradition. This book about Muslims in Germany, and particularly about ethnic German converts to Islam, is of great importance for the way it works from the ground up to destabilize widely held notions of the nature of Europe and of the nation states that constitute it. That is to say, it puts common conceptions of Europe and of Germany in particular in question not by repeating widely circulating academic commonplaces about the normative failures of social categories and formations such as these that are not as inclusive nor as conducive to justice as they should be, but rather by bringing us close to so many individuals who we might think should have no problems of belonging in the world these categories help create, but who, but who do in fact have many such problems. Being German, becoming Muslim is thus in part a major contribution to our understanding of what it is like to be the kind of person who lives a life that's inextricably mixed up with major political categories that fit well enough to grab you firmly, to interpolate you, as we used to say, with great force, but not so well as to allow you a settled sense of being at home. This facet of the book of necessity and also by authorial intent, makes it a powerful work about the politics of inclusion and exclusion, security and threat, and recognition and fairness. At the same time, this is also a book about religion. I'm going to echo something Nasser said uh, here, uh, even in my word choice, but uh, of course these were written completely independently. Um, so this is also a book of, about religion. Of course, in principle, we as scholars should never be so naive as to separate religion and politics. But as anthropologists, we have to be careful, as Esra has been, not to lose sight of how those with whom we work sometimes do want to pull them apart. Thus we learn that, quoting from the book now, the great majority of Salafis in Germany are not involved in politics. And more importantly for the point I'm going to try to develop here, that German conversion to Islam is generally a, quote, politically unmotivated personal choice. In this respect, the politics of Germanness and of the nature of Europe are ones converts find themselves enmeshed in, but perhaps that they do not go looking for. As an aside in relation to this observation, we might speculate in passing that these converts' imagination of or even aspiration toward a personal faith that is private and not political is one of the most culturally German or even European things about the people we meet in the book. But to return to the first point I'm in the process of making, on my reading we find that the big German and European political stories Esra tells us in this book, stories that are absolutely central to the phenomena she has studied, are not ones many of the people about whom she writes have exactly chosen to be part of. These are politics they are thrown into by choosing to become Muslim. It's important to recognize this because there's another smaller politics that does seem to preoccupy many of the converts with whom she worked, and that does stand out as a kind of politics in which they are wholeheartedly existentially engaged. 
This is a kind of micropolitics of status. One of the deep ethnographic findings of the book is how thoroughly and elaborately hierarchical the world of German Muslim, the world of German Muslim converts and of many other Muslims in Germany turns out to be. Strikingly, positions in this hierarchy, which to be sure relate back to the big issues of immigration, class, and national and regional belonging without collapsing into them, do get negotiated in religious terms. In this world, immigrant Muslims are ranked lower than German converts for their failure to practice a correct, culturally purified Islam, rather than for being poor or ill-mannered or different in other ways. At the same time, East German converts do better than immigrant ones by this scale, finding in Islam an escape from a German political economic hierarchy in which they find it difficult to move. And by the time we get to the Salafi Mosque in the penultimate chapter, we realize that even born Muslims can join the hierarchy, this hierarchy if they are willing to purify their Islam of its cultural accretions. It is almost as if the micropolitics of rank on display in being German, becoming Muslim, posits Islam as a coherent hierarchical world on its own, separate from wider German society, in which can, one can work out a satisfactory place for oneself based only on one's own efforts in ways that one cannot in Germany or in Europe more generally. In its openness to pious talent and commitment, the Islamic hierarchy does in fact neatly reflect German values, and in a way that solicits a different, more self-conscious and steady participation from converts than does the national-level jostling over what conversion means for the definition of Germany or Europe or the West. Before leaving this set of observations about religious and, and politics, and particularly about how important a religiously defined politics of status ranking appears to be to those with whom Ezra worked, I think it's worth making an observation about a topic that surfaces a number of times throughout the book and right at the beginning of Ezra's opening remarks, but which never be quite, quite becomes a central analytic focus. We learn that Germans, both East and West, frequently convert when they enter into relations of romance or marriage with born Muslims. There's something of a politics of intermarriage that haunts the whole German convert scene. One wonders if this politics of marriage is one factor in making the politics of status so absolutely central to the converts Ezra got to know. One potential next step onwards from this research would be experimenting with putting intermarriage front and center and asking if conversion and its effects look any different when viewed from that angle. And speaking of marriage, I recently read an article by Andre Etianu, an anthropologist who has studied the Paris banlieue for several decades. The article, which appeared in a, a recent issue of an, of an online journal called How, so it's, it's freely available, it is the freshest thing on the politics of veiling in France I've read in a very long time, a field in which it's not that easy to have something fresh to say. I don't have time to, to summarize his very original argument here, but I want to take from it his observation that since the Enlightenment and the Revolution, French notions of freedom have been deeply tied up with ideas about the right to criticize religion and the right to disregard religiously-based moral strictures concerning sexuality. It would be interesting to set some of Esra's findings in relation to a similar kind of cultural analysis of the place of religion and sexuality, and also marriage, in the German tradition as well. If German converts and participants in intermarriage are not, for Germany at large, proving their freedom in valued ways, and maybe not even proving their rationality, which is a theme that is there throughout the book, but that hit me harder when uh, in Esra's opening comment, and then some of the ways other commentators picked it up. So if these converts 
And participants in intermarriage are not, for Germany at large, proving their freedom or their rationality in value ways. In one sense, they're not. This is a hint that religion, sexuality, and marriage line up differently in this world than in the very well-studied French one. And it would be interesting to look Mm. at some of those differences. And this leads me to my final point, one I make as a scholar mostly of Pentecostal conversion on the part of indigenous peoples who do not come to their new faith from some or other world religion. A lot of ink has been spilled demonstrating that very often Pentecostal converts vehemently disavow not only the the religions, but also the cultures from which they come. They aim to make, as the Ghanaian Pentecostals Birgit Meyer study put it to her, a complete break with their pasts. Esther cites the discussion about Pentecostal uh, anti-culturalism at the outset of her book in order to differentiate the cultural attitudes of German converts to Islam from this rejectionist Pentecostal one. The converts Ezra studies want to remain German and want to show that Islam, when properly understood and practiced, supports German values. Clearly, they understand themselves differently than do Pentecostal converts who want to make a wholly fresh start. But as one reads on in the book, one does begin to catch some complications in practice. For converts very much do reject German gender norms surrounding dress, male-female interaction, and sexuality, among other things. One wants to dig deeper here, asking why they feel they can reject these things but still embrace German culture in general. They're making some fascinating choices in this regard. And their preoccupation with issues of gender puts us right back in the same neighborhood in which we have already come across issues of intermarriage in the German case and sexuality in the French one. Those parts of German culture converts do reject then strike me as another thread worth following further into the fascinating material Ezra has so brilliantly opened up for us in this wonderful book. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you. I would now like to open the discussion to the floor before I give Esther her right to respond to these fascinating comments. Uh, it is probably best to take the questions in groups of three. So if I can have a show of hands for the first comments. My visual field is slightly impaired. So I think I should get up to be able to see. And of course you have the, the microphone. So can I have some comments, please? There's one right there. Yes. And there's one right here. Ah. Um, This is just to make sure I understand um, the argument. So, because my impression of your description of how people became Muslim was that it was almost like an accident, like you bump into someone who is Muslim and you happen to like them. So do you think the reason that these people converted to Islam and not to Christianity or or any other religion was just an accident, that they happened to bump into a Muslim person? Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. This was a a wonderful event so far. May I ask you, um, going back to the reasons you identified why people become Muslims, you said um, they named friendship, generosity, their relation to family, assurance of the existence of God, etc. Did your interlocutors say at all whether they were missing these things within Germany or maybe within their socioeconomic milieu or in their own families? Thank you. I'll take another one before. Um... No, maybe a second. What was the attitude to the surrounding Muslim, uh, born Muslim population, to these converts who 
tried to impose themselves in a particular place in the hierarchy which they perceived to exist. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so Dennis, you, you first want me to answer questions from I the floor? I think so, because and then it the might end. be too complicated to remember everything. So if you take these three, others can be thinking about the following questions. Okay, and then at the end I'll respond. Yes. First, the accident question. I guess, in a way, it was accident running into Muslims because all stories are like that. Um, but at the same time, there are many people who run into Muslims, and they don't all convert. You know, so you, you can say maybe it was planned. You know, it was God's plan, and then you know, from the perspective of the religious person, and then um, this opened up the possibility, or they were ready, they were looking for something. Some theorists of a religious conversion um, argue for a crisis, um, that a crisis leads to conversion. So that um, is also well known among converts in Germany, and they would always tell me, look, I was not in a crisis, you know, I was a good student in school, my parents are not divorced, I had a, you know, so uh, m many people, um, and I think it is true, there are many people who go through crisis and few of them convert. You know, so in that sense, I'm, that's what I meant to say when I said we don't know why they converted. But at the same time, some, something needs to happen. I haven't met a single... People told me at first, yeah, I took you know, the um, Old Testament and the New Testament and the um, Quran next to each other and read them and I decided... And then I would meet them the next time. They would say, look, there's a detail I didn't tell you. There was this, you know, Muslim man that really impressed me. You know, so there... <laughs> it all, like, the accident was crucial in the story. Um, so this, if they were missing something, because of the, they, the way they narrate these things, it's looks like that they were missing these things, but they never felt that they were missing these things until they met them. The family theme came up a lot. They really, uh, many people envied Muslim families, but at the same time, when they tried to enter them, they realized, of course, it is not the you know, ideal family that they imagined. That happened a lot. It relates to the born Muslim attitudes. Born Muslims, what I experienced, is that they found converts cute. You know, they thought, oh, you know, mashallah, how great, you know, I'm so glad you converted. But Turks especially, um, I'll say they didn't want to do anything with them. They didn't want them to come to their mosques. Um, there was a huge issue with conversion, uh, sorry, uh, with, um, uh, with circumcision. You know, it's a tradition. You don't have to have a circumcision when you convert to Islam, unlike Judaism. But they would really, really insist on that. You know, that really made uh, relations very difficult. And also, as soon as they realized the converts start to criticize them, that also um, made the relationship tense. So the converts told me that they felt really not accepted. You know, so they thought they would be embraced by this happy, loving Muslim family, but it didn't happen. Then that is why they had to, they explained to me, they had to form their own communities, and that is the reason of some of the hostility. No, this, this is all I answered. 
Right, uh, we're ready for another round. Yes. Uh, can you see three hands? Two in the front and... Hi, just on that last point, do you think that hostility came from the culture or from the religious sort of angle? Hi. Um, I grew up in the most um, extreme secular state called France. Now everybody's name's Charlie. Um, and still they allow the Wahhabist ideology to spread in the mosques in France. So I'm wondering um, how is it for the Germans in regards of, uh, of Islam, if it's, if it's more the Turkish uh, way of uh, living Islam, I don't know how it is, but, or if it's more like in France, Wahhabi system or ideology. I think those were more. I think that was the third question, but yeah. Um, I hello. Uh, I would like to know your opinion about the new movement in Germany, Pegida. If it has a, do you think it has a more positive or negative um, effect on the numbers or on the on the on especially on the people who are considering whether to convert or not? Do you think so? The Pegida movement now enforces or gives them even more uh, motivation to convert? Or do you think that, uh, yeah, that they are uh, warned or negatively or that their decision might be negatively affected by this movement? Thank you. Right. If any other member of the panel wants to come in also in these questions, please feel free. I'm passing the mic to Estra again for three questions. But, okay. Okay, uh, I'll try to keep the answers brief and if anyone wants to jump in. Um, where does the hostility come from? I mean, relations between immigrants and um, natives in Germany are tense. It is segregated in many parts. School, schools are segregated. Neighborhoods are segregated. Not strictly, but there, there is a tendency towards that. Um, you know, so that obviously doesn't change when people convert. So I would say the kind of older tensions reproduce themselves in a new language. Then it is not about religion, but then it becomes about culture, about wrong way of doing religion. You know, so I would say already existing relationships continue. Um, in Germany, obviously the dominant um, um, practice of Islam is Turkish. Most Muslims are from Turkey. And um, most mosques are supported by the Turkish state. Imams come from Turkey. Um, and conversion does not happen in those circles. Converts come to Turkish mosques, but they don't feel welcomed. Where they feel welcomed is um, few Germans, there are very few German-speaking uh, mosques that are open to you know, different uh, schools of Islam. But where they find uh, comfort is Salafi mosques, which are conversionists. They want converts. They, um, they speak the German language. They are about youth culture. They are non-hierarchical. You know, so even though um, it is small, that is where um, uh, converts are attracted to. Um, I don't know if Pegida will increase or decrease numbers, because while doing my research, I think 
I wanted to find political converts. I really wanted to find people who say, I converted because I want to be in solidarity with the oppressed people. You know, I thought that would make an interesting book. But I didn't find that. People were really in a spiritual journey. They really wanted to connect with something higher than they are. And it happened through a meaningful connection. So I cannot imagine anyone converts because of Pegida. But I think what Pegida will do will lead to further marginalization, and it will make converts um, less part of the society, and then it makes their radicalization possibly easier. It doesn't increase the number, but it um, uh, makes polarization stronger. Any other comments on, from the panel on Pegida and similar? I would I would ag just agree with your interpretation. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe I should complicate things by suggesting that the Ummah is trumped every time by national and ethnic divisions. Even in the Islamic State we hear <laughs> that these divisions are Uzbeks and so on. I mean, we, we have evidence. I mean, this is just being provocative. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, right. Another round of... Uh, yeah? Uh, do you see the... Ladies in the it's back here. Yeah. Two and the gentleman here. Is three about right? Mm -hmm. You can just start um, managing. I just wanted to jump on the marginalization and ask, because how does, could you say a bit more about how marginalization of Islam in the 2000s relate to that new group of people who convert to Islam, as you mentioned before? Because um, also what you said before, it seemed to me a bit, it could also just be a matter of um, what kind of um, uh, Muslim immigrants and what the number, uh, how large is the number of them living in Germany that affect who converts? Yeah. Right. Thank Hi. you very much for stimulating talk. I, I've just come across, well, I, I'm reading a book on Islamic history at the moment, and it says that in the 19th century, the British, French, and Russians came to rule millions of Muslims. Germany didn't, but the German scholarship about the Muslim world in the 19th century was the highest in the world in terms of um, inquiry into Syrian Islam. And I'd just like to ask you how that may relate to the impact of Muslims and Germans today and the relationship to the colonial empires that the Germans didn't have. And just as a, is there any reference in the First World War, as we all know, imperial German, Ottoman Turkey were allies on the losing side, and um, I don't know whether that relates, that balance, uh, 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 any con uh, relates to contemporary analysis of Germany's position in the Muslim world. Right. Hi. Um, I found your, um, all, all your speeches really interesting. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, just from personal experience, I, I agree with you. I think um, a lot of converts do go down the route of um, wanting this pure, um, essential form of Islam as they see it kind of um, stripped from any cultural baggage. But then I also I've seen you know, quite a significant number that don't just convert to the religion. They convert wholeheartedly into the culture and they want to be more Arab or Pakistani than the Arabs or the Pakistanis themselves and they change how they dress, what they cook. So did you come across that? And my other question is, I don't know if it's probably beyond the remit of your research, but did you look at uh, people that converted and then left the faith? And did you look at the reasons? And, 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 and also, I, w I wanted to ask you about what you think 
um, that the trend of con conversion is in Germany? Um, do you think it's on the increase? Is it mostly women? I just want to okay. know more about that. Thank you. Um, so, um, about marginalization, you know, because um, conversion happens through contact, who the Muslims are crucial uh, in determining who converts. You know, in 1920s, it was elite, you know, who, who could have contact with um, Islam, you know, Orientalists traveling, you know, people who had access to that kinds of texts. So it was elite Germans. But now in Germany, as you know, Islam is becoming criminalized, as there are more and more Muslims in prisons, then prisons are a source of um, conversion. Then you get you know, more criminal people converting. So th that, um, you know, and as there is less and less hope for um, poor, um, you know, not, not all, you know, a lot of Muslims obviously do really well, but there's a segment of society you know, who, who get bad education, we know that they'll never get good jobs, you know, they spend their time on the street hanging out, and they have relationship with that kind of youth. So who the Muslims are determine who the converts are. And that's answer to the question about the First World War as well. During First World War, um, there were different kinds of Muslims. You know, again, there were Turks, there were lots of Indians, that is why there was Ahmadiyya society. Um, but at the same time, they were not workers. They were um, students, I don't know, engineers, traders, and they had contact with those kinds of people. But definitely that alliance brought Muslims to uh, Germany and that brought converts. Uh, this pure Islam and cultural Islam, many converts told me about the stages they went through. They said, first, I converted to the culture. You know, I just wanted to be like an Arab. I wore that kind of dresses. I cooked that kind of food. But then, through my education, I learned that it is not about it. And I learned about pure Islam. So many people talked about um, stages in which they found the right Islam for themselves. You know, I don't know if it is the case for everyone, but many people talked about stages. Some people told me they first started as Salafi, then they gave that up, then they became Sufi. You know, so people's um, religious careers is a dynamic, dynamic one. Of course, there are people who leave that are harder to find. You know, people don't tell you, oh, I was Muslim for five years, I gave it up. You know, it's uh, something. But in conversion ceremonies, I would talk to people afterwards, and people will tell, would tell me, oh, this is the third time I'm converting. I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. You know, so people also came in and out of it, too. Right. Yes. Ready for... Uh, in the middle? You see these gentlemen There's three there. in the middle there. Yeah. Two gentlemen. Um, yes. Thank you very much. It was a really interesting discussion. Um, and I really like how you contextualized, um, like you brought kind of contextual factors into the discussion. Um, and I was wondering, when you did the research for your book, um, did you look at kind of um, conversions or uh, Muslims or people converting to Islam in, in kind of Britain or America or kind of countries which have a slightly different, um, I guess, political setting? Approach to multiculturalism, etc. So. Right. Right. Uh, could you elaborate more on the converts' relationship with the Enlightenment 
and their perception that in converting, they're taking part in an enlightenment project which is kind of post-national or whatever. Mm-hmm. There was one more over there. Was there? One more. I was also wondering whether you could talk a little bit about the consequences of the self-imposed isolation that some of the new converts um, experience when they when they no longer feel like they could talk with the born Muslims. Okay. Um, um, within Europe, people talk, you know, I read other people's works. I didn't uh, do research in other European countries. But I get the sense that the numbers are the same. Um, I also read that the converts scene in France is a little bit more radical same is also the case in the UK. Probably, you know, most likely that also has to do with the born Muslims there, again, with the scene. Again, it has to do with being Muslim means, what the experience of Muslims are like. Um, I also see in France, you know, um, there is more segregation, life in the banlieues. I mean, I don't know, maybe there are other people who know about French Muslims, about British Muslims, for sure, um, better than I do. So, um, yeah, I'll just say that. There are some similarities, some differences. Um, oh, maybe... You, Would you, you like know? to comment? Well, not on that specific point. Okay. Do, you want, do you want to finish your question, answers to the questions? I don't want to, I don't want to cheat people of their questions because they've uh-huh. waited so quietly and patiently to ask them. Okay. I do have a couple of observations to make that they think about. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. should go ahead, because I mean, Israel will speak last. It feels, it feels right. a bit like Ezra's on trial here. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it a, a defense or a prosecution witness, but uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't seem to work. I'll throw my voice and, and see. I mean, one thing which comes across, I think, quite um, in quite a subtle fashion throughout the book is that it's, it's very hard for a convert to be a nominal Muslim, mm-hmm. right? Um, insofar as people have invested a great deal, kind of psychologically, in terms of family, and in other ways, that it means that they kind of have to perform their Islam. Um, and by perform, I don't mean it's insincere, I mean profound and deeply held and sincere, but it has to be exhibited. Um, and one way in which it's exhibited is that there's this continuing journey, right? So there's a distillation, a refinement, um, and I just wonder to what extent that's, that's part of this kind of these parallel journeys of converts and their identity formation and move, almost moving through those kind of the born Muslims, right? The, the Muslims who are so in the views of the testaments test, uh, of the converts, you know, these, these people who are saturated in a misguided cultural and ethnic inheritance. Um, And which kind of leads to another question, which I suppose we've kind of touched on in the discussion, but I mean, what are the sources of the piety? I mean, in a number of responses, white converts will use um, references to you know, Arab- Arabic tra- traditions and Arabic customs insofar as they want to use culture at all. Well, you know, I come from a part of the world historically where you know, 
we say, what do, they, what do the Arabs know about Islam? You know? mm. um, I mean, you know, there are more Muslims living in India, there are more Muslims living in Indonesia. And I'm not saying that that's a valid argument. I'm saying that they too are possible sources of Islamic piety. Mm. But part of the globalization of the kind of the Arab Muslim aesthetic means that it's almost a first point of call, which partly explained by, you know, Arabic is a philosophical language of the Quran and so forth. But, you know, there are competing centers of authenticity. Um, but the gravitation is always towards um, kind of Arabic traditions. Right. Mm. Right. But at the same time, German, not, not all, but some Germans then seek for it in the Enlightenment and then this natural religion. And they say only in its pure form then one can relate to God, to you know, God gave this message for everyone, then for it to be like that, then there, it shouldn't be polluted by culture, so even Arabs are polluted. I mean, Arabs would be regarded higher in the convert community. Turks were really bad. <laughs> uh, they didn't care about Pakistanis because there are not that many of them uh, in Germany. Um, yeah, so th- their um, way of giving values also reflected already existing values attributed to these groups. Maybe only Arabs benefited in the uh, convert community, only they get attributed higher value. Um, Consequences of isolation, it can be difficult. For some people, it really was difficult. I mean, families uh, reacted really harsh, you know, people disowned their children. I mean, these people really went through a lot, you know, to um, continue um, on their spiritual path. And then they were not embraced by um, Muslims. But what is happening is since 1990s, in places like Berlin, there are big numbers of converts. So they come together and they became really good friends. And, um, And also now, as there are increasing Salafi communities, there they feel comfortable because both it is in the German language and there is this constant emphasis of it doesn't matter. And also Turks who come to these mosques also leave their um, Turkish relationships, Turkish mosques behind. So then in that community they feel welcomed and um, Yes. Okay. Um, I think I'll take one more round, bearing in mind that you're all invited after this meeting to join Esra in the atrium where she's willing to sign books. So I'll take maybe a couple more if there are any questions. Uh, I'll pick people who haven't spoken yet. So the gentleman in the front and there. Just uh, touch a bit more on the. Do religions need a birthplace in a spiritual home that defines them? Because it sounds like where the converts to Islam in Germany are trying to distance themselves from the original birthplaces of these of the religion. Now, as a Hindu, it still feels like I have some sort of affinity to India, and luckily I am Indian, so the two tie up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for the converts to Islam, do they feel like they need a spiritual home? Do they identify with the same sort of spiritual places in Islam? There? Mm. And I think there's a gentleman on the side. Thank you. I just wanted to go back to the um, point on piety. And I was just wondering, when you were doing your research, whether there was a difference between what a convert saw as a pious Muslim or the concept of a pious Muslim in their head to that of a born Muslim. 
And my curiosity is more in relation to what we see today as being described as an, um, uh, a depiction of piety as an extreme form within society today and that of a moderate Muslim. Um, so I was just wondering what, what you found. Final. Um, yes, I just want to thank you for a really fascinating discussion. And uh, basically, it's um, two parts to my question. I'm interested in sort of if any of the converts took on sartorial devices to uh, or particular style of dress to, um, you know, mark themselves and mark this new sort of identity formation for them. Um, and also, uh, then I was interested in to what extent they, um, they were impacted by any travel to Muslim-majority countries, or if after their conversion they, had, um, they felt the need to go on such a trip. Great. Thank you. I guess the last and the first question are connected to each other. Among converts, I, um, in some of them, I saw um, a longing for a Muslim-majority place, but then also traveling to, the, to those places and great dissatisfaction. There was always discussion about what is the purest place. You know, their converts moved to Saudi Arabia, and then there was this family who moved to Jideh, and then they were saying, oh, Jideh is horrible. It's totally westernized. You can't even find alcohol there. You know, Mecca is the place. They go to Mecca. No, even Mecca is ruined. You know, so then the search of nowhere is perfect enough. Um, and I think we see that, of course, with um, some converts joining the Islamic State. So that is also the um, desire for creating this uh, paradise, which may not look uh, like paradise from, um, uh, for many people, but at least this total purified place. There is longing for that, but also there is this discourse about, well, it doesn't exist, so we may as well create, try to live this in Germany. It is not that bad either. You know, so both uh, perspectives existed. Um, some of them met Islam as they traveled, um, uh, definitely. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, about moderate Islam, I didn't exactly understand the question, but. Actually, the, phone, the microphone makes it more difficult to Does understand. Does it? Yeah. Um, what I meant by it is that when somebody converts, and often we're seeing mainly in Britain, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but a lot of a minority of converts then go towards the extreme version of Islam and then you're seeing what we're calling homegrown terrorists. So what I was I sort see. of getting okay. at is is their version of piety, because I, sometimes you come across converts who, who to a born Muslim maybe just praying five times a day is enough to qualify a pious person maybe, but to others sometimes spreading the word and holding um, groups and discussing uh, literal um, versions of what they think Islam is. Does that then, did you find any difference in the two, and does that permeate towards extremism in any way in Germany? Sure. Um, first, there are all kinds of converts, but you see the ones who are, you know, who change their outfits, who, are, who talk about it all the time, you know, who make it, who make the performance part more overt. You notice them. You know, I've noticed there are all sorts of, there, there are also some converts who reinterpret it. There are these lone converts. They'll say, oh, uh, 
this is between me and Allah, I'll just do it as I wish. You know, there are those kinds of as well. Um, uh, you know, the, among converts, you know, they're definitely are extremists, you know, among the people who join the Islamic State, converts uh, play, you know, a significant role. Um, yeah, that's a complicated relationship. It is um, also important for us to remember that it is not the first time Europeans go and fight in other people's wars. For example, during, um, um, uh, you know, wars were in Spain, for example, or in Latin America. Um, Germans took part in those roles. They went to Latin America. They joined leftist movements. They took uh, Spanish names. Um, you know, in this. So, is their version of piety different? So, when you come across converts, is their version of piety different to that of, say, all Right. Right. Okay. So, what, what I. Um, you know, they, they are more interested in a purified Islam. There are many born Muslims in Europe who are also interested in purified Islam, but that understanding of piety is more attractive to converts because it opens them a larger space. Um, I'm afraid we've run out of time. Okay. So okay. I think you will have to yes. continue. <laughs> you will have to continue yeah. this conversation yeah. between yourselves. Right. Thank you very much, and I invite you all. Well, I have an announcement to make. There is also a reception. The reception is at the old building on Houghton Street when you turn towards the... Uh, it's in the atrium. No, the books, the book signing is in the atrium. Yeah. So is the reception. In the old building. So both are in the old building. Okay, so we're all going to the old building. Thank you very much.